Well, good evening and good morning to you who have joined us online. Last week, Roxanne talked about Mary, who questioned what God was doing in her life. And like so many of us, Mary had a difficult time believing that God, through unusual means, would use someone like her, an ordinary person, to change the course of history. And yet Mary chose to put her trust in God's word and by faith surrender her unbelief and embrace the unbelievable. Today we're going to look at the life of Joseph, who as a righteous man, a moral and upright individual, would doubt Mary's story. But then who wouldn't? I mean, how is it possible for Mary to have a child and have no physical contact with a man? It's not a reasonable explanation. And then to say that the child will be the son of the Most High God, well, that is even more unreasonable. And yet the story gets more unbelievable. Because not only is Joseph to accept what Mary is telling him, but he's actually expected to support her. In other words, he is to be a part of God's plan, a part of the bigger story that God was writing to change the course of history. Now, let's just pause here for a minute. I invite us to think about where we are in God's bigger story. Some of us, like Joseph, are questioning what is taking place in our lives and the world around us. We can't imagine that God is at work in what seems unexplainable and unacceptable circumstances. Like Joseph, we love God and we're committed to him. But then we might be standing back waiting to see how God is going to reveal himself before we actually get involved. Roxanne and I know what it's like to question God's bigger story, um, a story that he is actually inviting us to step into. When we were first approached to go to North Africa, we had difficulty believing that God wanted us to reach out to Muslim people. The first thing that we thought of when we heard the word Muslim was terrorists. Not as people that God deeply cared about and people that he loved. When we were still living in Canada, we were quite content to let others reach out to the Muslim community and support them, but only as we kept our distance. Yet like Joseph, God is inviting us to step into the story with him, not as a spectator, not somebody on the sidelines waiting to see how things are, are going to turn out, uh, but as a participant by surrendering our doubts, our unbelief, and embrace the unbelievable. But what does it take to surrender our doubts, our unbelief, and embrace the unbelievable. Well, as we take our Bibles and we turn to Matthew chapter 1, we discover through the life of Joseph that it takes faith on our part to surrender our doubts, our unbelief, where we move from being a spectator to actually becoming actively involved with God in changing the course of history. Starting at verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, we read, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. That's the unbelievable part. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did the unbelievable. For the scripture says, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let me just give you a little bit of background here about Joseph. Now, first of all, we know very little about the life of Joseph. What we do know is that Joseph's lineage has him listed in Luke chapter 2 verse 4 as a descendant of David. Every Jew kept a record of his lineage and he would have been very proud if he could claim royal or priestly descent. This would have been no less true for Joseph. Joseph's family belonged to Bethlehem, David's city, but he had moved to Nazareth where he made his living as a carpenter. Now, we know that Joseph was a carpenter from Matthew's writing in chapter 1355, where Jesus is addressed as the son of a carpenter. Now, the Greek word used for carpenter to describe Joseph's trade is tecton. The word was used of a, a multi-talented and skilled builder or a craftsman who worked with different types of wood and stone. Now, Jesus, having learned the trade from Joseph, actually later on uses analogies based on his experiences at Joseph's side to explain our relationship to God in his coming kingdom, as is the case found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, when Jesus talks about building a house on a solid rock rather than on sand. Jesus would have also learned not just his carpentry trade from Joseph, but he would have learned the Jewish law and teachings from Joseph. For we read that Joseph was a man of faith. It says in verse 19 that Joseph was faithful to the law. You could say that Joseph lived by the letter of the law. In other words, Joseph understood what the scriptures taught about living a moral and upright life uh, that was pleasing to God. And Joseph 
took it seriously. This explains some of Joseph's dilemma when he finds out that Mary, his wife-to-be, is expecting with child. You see, friends, Joseph not only was faithful to the law, but Joseph was a man who was faithful to Mary. He cared deeply about her. And even though Joseph was confused and deeply hurt by Mary's story, Joseph thought about how he could best protect her. What an amazing individual. For we read in verse 19 that Joseph, not wanting to expose Mary to public disgrace, had a mind to divorce her quietly. Now, this is the dilemma. Being faithful to God and wanting to do what is right in the eyes of God, yet at the same time faithful to Mary and not wanting harm to come to her, Joseph has to make a decision. Does he follow God and bring disgrace to Mary by breaking off his engagement, which could be life-threatening for Mary? Or does he go against everything he has believed in about living according to God's law and marry Mary? How many of us find ourselves facing the same kind of dilemma? We want to do what is right in the eyes of God, and yet at the same time, we care deeply about someone who appears to have crossed the line. Think about someone you love, who might be addicted to drugs, maybe unfaithful to their marriage partner, or they've been involved in a fraudulent activity in their uh, job. Uh, think about maybe a child of yours who has turned away from the faith or grown cold towards God, or an individual who is involved in a same-gender relationship. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Listen closely, please. What if our dilemma is not a dilemma at all? What if our limited scope of understanding about what God is up to is what is actually holding us back and not God or the situation itself that we find ourselves faced with this Christmas season? What if God is inviting us to embrace the dilemma that we find ourselves uh, in as part of his plan to change the course of history in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Now, I realize that it's going to take some faith on our part to surrender our doubt, our unbelief, and embrace the unbelievable, but we're not alone. This was also true of Joseph. You see, friends, although Joseph was a man of faith, Joseph's faith only went so far. His faith would not allow him to see beyond his own convictions, his own belief system that he had grown up believing in. That is until God spoke to him through the angel of the Lord. For we read in verse 20, but after he had considered this, that meaning divorcing Mary privately, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her 
is actually from the Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's safe to say that we would all agree that God's primary way of speaking to us is through his written word. Well, this was no less true for Joseph. As we read earlier, Joseph was faithful to the law. Joseph knew the Old Testament law, and he was committed to obeying God's commands. Yet there are times when God speaks to us through other means, such as through people he sends our way. In Joseph's case, it was the angel of the Lord, a messenger from God who appeared to him in a dream. Now, what I find most interesting about the conversation between the angel of the Lord and Joseph is that the angel actually refers back to the scriptures, the same scriptures that Joseph had interpreted as the letter of the law. Now, please do not misunderstand me when I say that God's ways, as unbelievable as they might appear to be in our lives, are still rooted in the scriptures that we are familiar with. However, there is more to the scriptures than what often meets the eye. We can overlook what God is up to because of the religious framework we have either grown up with or a framework that we have been taught to believe in. And so that framework has limited our, our greater scope of God's word, his all-inclusive word that can be far, far more involved, far more reaching uh, when it comes to facing the kinds of dilemma we are in that maybe we are able to comprehend at the time. I hope that makes sense to you. Well, let me just explain it this way. As a young boy, I grew up in a church that was very strict. Uh, there were all kinds of rules for living the Christian life. For example, the church we attended uh, taught that uh, Sunday or, uh, was a day of rest. It was Sabbath. And this meant that we couldn't ride our bikes, uh, couldn't watch TV on Sunday, couldn't play baseball, couldn't go fishing. Oh, and there was a, a list of other things we couldn't do. I grew up with that understanding for quite some time until my understanding changed for me. Uh, but that understanding to shift that, to make that paradigm shift in my way of thinking was challenging. It can be difficult for us to consider the possibility that we are missing something in our interpretation of the scriptures especially if we are focused on one specific teaching of the scriptures without taking into consideration the whole counsel of God. I remember hearing a story about Jack Hayford, who after graduating from seminary was told by his mom to remember that no one has the edge on truth. An important word of advice for all of us to take to heart. You see, our convictions are important and they're necessary. But friends, we must always be open to what God wants to teach us through his messengers, whether that comes to us in visions and dreams, in our conversation with another individual, in relation to God's fuller understanding of his word. Moving on, we discover that Joseph 
allowed his faith to be stretched, still true to his convictions, but nonetheless stretched. Joseph embraced the unbelievable. He entered into the greater story and in doing so, helped change the course of history. We read in verses 24 and 25 that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Friends, Joseph was no longer a spectator, but a participant in God's redemptive purpose, for we read that he took Mary home to be his wife. Now let's just think about this for a minute. Joseph got beyond doubting Mary's story, but he also got beyond what other people would have thought of him. In other words, Joseph took on Mary's shame, her ridicule, rejection, humiliation that she would have received from her closest friends and from her community at large. And no doubt the community would have judged Joseph as being intimate with Mary before his wedding day. How about us? Will we allow shame, ridicule, rejection, humiliation to keep us from participating in God's redemptive purpose? Will we allow all of this to hold us back and keep us from getting involved because I'm afraid to say that as I look back on my life, these very things did hold me back. What would other people think or say if I respond this way, even though I believe that now I have a fuller understanding of really what God is saying in relation to this particular situation. But if I choose to, to follow God into this situation, uh, people are not going to get it. They're going to think I'm um, unfaithful, a heretic maybe, depending on what their view is. It can really hold us back. How about us? Are we willing to let give people freedom to think differently of us as we follow through with what we believe God is telling us to do in our particular dilemma that we find ourselves faced with? I find it rather sobering and challenging to know that Joseph also gave up his own rights and entitlement to fill God's purpose. That's another challenge for us to consider. We are told in verse 25 that there was no physical intimacy with Mary until after the birth of Jesus. Friends, I believe that a faith journey is often characterized by a selflessness on our part. And this does not come easy, not in a, in a me-centered society. None of us want to be left out of whatever benefits are coming to us. We don't want to be overlooked when uh, we feel we have an equal say in a given situation. And yet, friends, we find through Joseph's faith journey a man who is willing to set aside what he could easily have it demanded of Mary as a husband, but chose to surrender his expectations, surrender them to God in order to fulfill God's plan, purpose, and design. And in doing so, Joseph 
helped change the course of history. Like Joseph, God is inviting us to step into the story with him, not as a spectator, friends, not as those waiting to see how things are going to turn out and then we will get involved, but as a participant now, surrendering our doubts, our unbelief, and embrace the unbelievable. In closing, let me ask you these questions. What dilemma do we find ourselves faced with? Are we willing to allow God to challenge our convictions, our belief system? Are we willing to wrestle with God as we consider that maybe there is an alternative that we are just not understanding because of our theological framework? Are we willing to accept shame, ridicule, rejection, humiliation from those around us as we move from being a spectator to being a participator in God's greater purpose? Well, as we come to the communion table, we are reminded during this Advent season that Christ chose to humble himself, not only to be born in a stable, but to die for the sins of the world. Let's take a minute to prepare ourselves to take of the bread and of the cup together. So if you would please go and get yourself a cup uh, and a cracker and join us for communion. Uh, I'll just share a couple of words as you're preparing yourself. As we take the bread and the cup, I want us to think of this time together as uh, an expression of our humility as we give ourselves to Father God to fulfill His greater purpose in our lives. It took tremendous humility on the part of Christ to leave His kingly throne to come into this broken world. In such a and to be born in such a humble state and then end up dying on the cross. It took tremendous humility. And I understand that for us to embrace the faith journey and uh, to go beyond doubt, it, it can be very humbling for us as we step into the bigger picture that Dad has in mind for us. But that's what he is asking of us as we follow Christ's example. So let's express our humility, our life of surrender to Father God as we take communion together. We read in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, starting at verse 23, the Apostle Paul saying, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's see. We go on to read in verse 
25, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take and drink together. Again, uh, an expression of our humility and surrendering of ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the, the Christmas story. I thank you for how it relates in so many different ways to uh, how we live our lives today. As you continue to uh, reveal your redemptive plan to a broken, hurting world around us. And I know that you have called us as followers of Jesus to step into the redemptive story with you as we uh, find ourselves in some very challenging situations and circumstances that you want to use. You actually want to orchestrate for the good of your kingdom. And so whatever that might be, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to be able to hear from you a clearer picture, a clearer understanding of how you want to use this for your glory and to enable us to step into uh, whatever it is we're faced with, with the understanding and with the faith that you are going to use this for your kingdom come and for your will to be done in a greater measure. So I commit each one of us to you as we continue in this faith journey during this Advent season. In Jesus' name, amen.